Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good morning. It's Papa Beloved. It's Donald Ray from the Bay, a.k.a. DJ I-I-I. Y'all know what it is. So, uh, as you can see, uh, our fearless leader, Pastor John, is not here in the building with us uh, this morning. He's actually across town blessing uh, a congregation, Spanish-speaking, preaching in Espanol, in Estereo. And uh, so I know he's being a blessing to them over there. So y'all stuck with me today. On today. So... uh, Appreciate, appreciate y'all, appreciate y'all. Thank you, thank you, amen. So uh, today's message, I just want to talk to you guys about the con, the con. So you know, throughout history, there's been many great cons that that we've known of: uh, Shaka Khan, uh, Genghis Khan, and uh, the the great nemesis of the Star Trek Enterprise, the Wrath of Khan. But uh, I'm not talking about any of them today. I'm talking about the con, meaning like you've been swindled, the scam, the hustle, all right? So I'm a little slow because I just recently like found this out. Um, But like when I used to hear like the term somebody talk about the con, I'm thinking like a a convict, right? But really con is short for the confidence man. So a con man, when you got a con man or a con artist, it's referring to a confidence man, meaning that they've basically gained the confidence of the person that they're taking advantage of, right? So I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about the con. So a confidence man does what you would call a confidence game. And so uh, in the game... The con is also known as a scam, a grift, a hustle, a bunko, a swindle, a flim-flam, a gaffle, or a bamboozle, right? Y'all familiar with some of those terms? You know, I grew up, I grew up, you know, in there, and it was kind of like using that, you know, young cats, they, they like hear a new word or get some new vocabulary, and they trying to quick to throw it in, in, in the regular conversation, you know what I'm saying? So back when I was young, you know what I'm saying, if somebody got, you know, got robbed or got stole from, they got gaffled, Right? I'm about, I'm about to gaffle this fool for it, you know what I'm saying? And so the other part of the, the con is, so you have a con, you have the victim, which is also known as the mark. So that was another word that we used to use when we was coming up, like, bro, like, if you, was, if you was a sucker, we was like, man, you was a mark, right? Or, we, or you know what I'm saying? You got, or you, if, you ran, if you ran with thieves, you know what I'm saying? We finna, we finna go gaffle these marks right quick. You know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what they do. That was the terminology we use. But... Also, another implement or another element that can be used in the con is what they call a shield. And a shield is usually uh, somebody who comes that, that basically the con employs, the con artist employs to, to basically pull off the scam. And basically th- this individual or this person will kind of give a little bit of credit, uh, accreditation to, to the con artist to make the, the, the mark believe them. So, what I want to talk to you guys is about the first con that took place 
the first con that took place. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. When you get there, say amen. If you don't have a Bible, you can read the Sky Bible. Amen. So I'm going to lay the backdrop. So we're starting with verse 1 in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Skip down to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Moving right along. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat, from, eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. So let's, 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 let's recap and review this real quick. So we just read in Genesis chapter 2 when God is talking to Adam, he tells Adam, don't eat of the tree. Prior to him telling him don't eat of the tree, he places the man in the garden to tend the garden. Amen? Can we agree with that? Places the man in the garden to tend the garden. Where's the tree? The tree is in the garden, right? So God tells the man, don't eat of the tree, for when you eat of this tree, you will surely die. We move along to the next chapter, and Eve is met by the serpent. And the serpent basically propositions Eve by directly contradicting what God has said. So did God say you shouldn't eat from every tree of the Garden of Eden when God told Adam, you can surely eat from every tree of the Garden of Eden, except for this one? 
Mind you, Eve responds with a paraphrase. She doesn't respond directly with the word. She responds with a paraphrase, which leads me to wonder, what did Adam actually give her as far as directions are concerned with the Garden of Eden? Follow. Me being a man, I'm not really into giving the details about what the ongoings are. If we going out to dinner, we going out to dinner. I'm not going to break down the itinerary that I'm going to, okay, I'm going to open your door and I'm going to close the door and then I'm going to make sure that your, your seatbelt is put on and before we take off and we go on our journey. And we, we head on I-80 and we head to San Francisco. I'm not going to do all that. The precipitation will be, no, I'm not going to do all of that. Right? Be like, we finna go get something to eat. Get ready. Be ready to go at this time. Just like that. So, it causes me to wonder, did Adam just say, hey, babe, look, check this out. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is our crib. This is where we're going to be at. You know what I'm saying? It's a nice place that God hooked up for us. You know what I'm saying? We can eat all of this. Hey, that tree over there, don't touch it or you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a husband, I would think like, Man, hey, you did your job. You let her know. You touched the tree, you're going to die. But that wasn't what God said. Because think about it, here it is, the man has been placed in the garden to take care and tend the garden, which implies stewardship. God placed him there to be a steward over what he created and gave him a help meet to help him in tending in, in what God created, to help him in, in the stewardship of, stewardship of what God created. So if we're going to do this effectively, our communication needs to be on a level where I've communicated clearly and correctly what needs to be done. And so here it is, you have Eve. I, I would think, be safe to say that she's probably just regurgitating what it is that Adam told her as far as concerning the, the trees and what they can do and what they can't do in the Garden of Eden. And here it is, it sets her up for further interrogation and just things continue to deteriorate and go in, in, in a bad direction. So here it is, we have the con artist, the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, who comes to God's creation, utilizes God's creation as a shield because I'm sure serpents weren't just walking around just talking, right? Serpents weren't just walking around talking. And here it is, he employs this shield to help kind of further, because it's like God created everything, right? And all of his creation, he said, was good. So this can't be bad that I'm having this conversation with one of God's creation. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I kind of, I kind of have an irritation when I get questioned, Right? And notice that that irritation kind of comes because, like, I'm trying to find, okay, where's this coming from? Like, where's, where's this question coming from? Like, what are you getting at? What's the motive behind it? And I think that some of the suspicion of the question derives from this because this is the first question that's ever asked that we have a record of. It comes from the serpent. So here it is. He's questioning her. 
And it seems like ever since throughout creation or throughout time that God's creation, specifically mankind, has been interrogated by life over and over again. We're constantly being questioned of who we are. What is our identity? Are we really who we say we are? Where have you been? What's your motive? What you, what you up to? What do you, what, what? Who, what, where, when, and why? We're constantly being interrogated. And so the thing about it is that you see is that the, the best thing to, to stop an interrogation is to lawyer up. You see, had, 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 had Eve known the word, she would have stopped the interrogation right then and there. Had she known the word, not just knew of it, not just paraphrased it, but if she knew the word, and who's the word? Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the word. Because there was nothing that wasn't made that wasn't made by the word. Amen? So if she would have responded with the word, she would have ended the interrogation right then and there. But because she didn't, she paraphrased and her confession was convoluted, which led to sin. She got conned. She got gaffled. She got bamboozled. Let's fast forward. Philippians. You know, we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and... There's a lot of scams and a lot of cons, a lot of things that sound good, a lot of things that look good that are out there. And if you ain't on your P's and Q's, you're going to get gaffled. You're going to get bamboozled. You're going to get conned. Do you understand the, the, the process by which they're able to recognize if something is counterfeit? They study the original and they hold it in the light. Don't fall for the con. Philippians chapter three. Here it is, we have Paul, and Paul is imploring of the church not to fall for the con. Here's what he says. We're gonna find out what the real con is, because it's not so much the serpent that we can put the blame for it, because it really all goes back to us. Amen? Philippians chapter 3. Paul starts off by saying, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but it is, for you, it's safe. So he's saying, it's, it's, not, it's not grievous to me to keep repeating myself to you about these things or to keep reminding you of these things. I know as a parent, I, I kind of get tired of repeating myself. Like, like, but ultimately what I'm saying to my children is for their safety and it's for their well-being. So it shouldn't be grievous to me to keep saying this, to keep reminding you, to again I say. God established the, the, the ordinances and the parameters, even though Adam and Eve were completely made perfect and free, he set up boundaries for their safety. Of all of these, you can eat, but not this one. And Paul is following suit with telling the church that I'm repeating this to you because it's for your safety. Verse 2, beware of dogs. 
Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Beware of the con artists. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So, so Paul's starting to run down why it is that he can proclaim that he has confidence in the flesh. Follow this. He's going to break down his resume. So as a Jew, he was circumcised on the eighth day, which was their custom. Of the stock of Israel, he was, the tri he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law. He was a Pharisee. So he knew the law. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which, is, righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. So here it is, he's saying that, man, I, I'm, I'm a Jew of Jews. He's like, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin meaning that he was a tribe of authority, the right hand. They were an authoritarian tribe in Israel. He says on top of that, they were like, I mean, in a sense, they were almost like the officers of Israel. And then on top of that, He's a Pharisee, which is like completely giving themselves over to knowing the law. Because that's what it was all about. It was about keeping the law to be right with God. Because the better you kept the law, that meant the, the better you were uh, uh, in, in God's sight. And he's saying, I did all that. Verse 7. Here's, here's the game changer right here. But what things were gained to me, those I counted as lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them to, to be but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, a.k.a. fig leaves. Think about it. We read in Genesis that after they ate, their eyes were open. And they saw that they were naked. So they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. And they hid from the presence of God. Why would they hide from the presence of God? When in the presence of God is fullness of joy. It was their sorrow of their sin that caused them in, in, in seeing their state of nakedness and being uncovered that they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves so that that way they could probably try and obtain some kind of reprieve from the sorrow that they felt. But when they sewed the fig leaves together, it didn't make them feel any better because the presence of God came in which there's fullness of joy and they still hid themselves. The crazy part about it is that once they had their their exchange and their conversation with God and God chastises them that God still had to sacrifice an animal to truly cover them. Because to atone for the disobedience and the sin, there has to be a death. 
If you've been here on Tuesday nights, you understand that there has to be a death. And it says that God covered them in tunics made of animal skins. A foreshadow of the sacrifice that Christ would make to cover us. And this is why Paul is saying that even though I was raised in the ritual and the tradition of sacrificing, and I know how to sacrifice properly according to what God's commands are, and I, off I offered it up as often as I should have, and I followed the law to the T. I count it all as nothing to know Christ because I have to rest in what Christ has done to truly obtain righteousness. When Paul starts off this passage, he's talking about beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers. What he's talking about was that during the time in the church, there were still individuals who still were living according to the law. They were Judaizers. They were saying that, yeah, it's cool that you Gentiles have, have come to a knowledge of who Christ is, but for you to really truly be righteous, you have to be circumcised. That's why Paul says, no, you are circumcised by your faith in Jesus Christ. Because your faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous. It's not the works. It's not the rituals. It's not the traditions that you're keeping. Don't fall for the con. Because it's easy to fall into the con to think that, you know what? I'm righteous because I come to church every Sunday. It's easy to fall into the con that, you know what? I don't cuss. I don't smoke. It's easy to fall into the con that, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm faithful to my wife. I'm faithful to my husband. I work and I take care of my family. That's goodness according to us. That's righteousness according to us. That's righteousness according to man. It's putting confidence in the flesh and not confidence in Christ. It's fig leaves. But Paul is saying that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, I want to be found in him, in his righteousness, not in the righteousness of my own, not in my fig leaves, not in my accomplishments, not in all these things. Something that you got to understand is just where he's coming from as being a, 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 a Pharisee, it's almost like modern day being a lawyer. So think about all of the, the money that you invest into going to school to become a lawyer. You go to school all these years, you learn the law and do all these things, you jump through all these hoops, and then still got to pass the bar. And he did all of that. I don't know about you, I'm still paying, paying my student loan off, right? I'm, I'm praying for that Morehouse anointing, like somebody's going to come out of somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, supernatural debt cancellation. But this is the equivalent of what he's gone through. These are all the things that he's gone through. And he says, I count it all as nothing. It's a pile of crap compared to the fact that I am in a re real relevant relationship with Jesus Christ. You clapping, but can you give up 
all of your investments? Can you give up all of your annuities? Can you give up all of the things that you are storing up? Can you give up your nest egg? To be found in him. Verse 10, it says that I may know him. To know and understand, when they're saying to know, that means to know in the biblical sense. I don't know if y'all know what that means. To know in the biblical sense. Intimacy. That I may know him intimately. As a Jewish idiom meaning between a man and a woman. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The knowing him is so important because it protects us from deception and preserves our God-given position of authority over the enemy. It protects us from the con. Verse 12. I'm sorry. Verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Something you got to understand. If you're placing confidence in yourself and your accomplishments, you're falling for the con. You're falling for the con. You're being deceived. You're being bamboozled. You're being gaffled. And it's not the enemy. The enemy will help set the stage for you. But ultimately, the responsibility and the awareness, is it belongs to you. Paul said, I place no, no confidence in the flesh. It makes me wonder that if maybe that was what the issue was that made the serpent believe that he had a prime opportunity when he approached Eve in the garden. I know that the way that the story reads in the beginning, that it's, it almost seems like it was just like sequential and that it just, it went back to back. But I believe that, that Adam and Eve had had quite some time enjoying themselves in creation and hanging out and being in their, in their, in their new abode and, and walking around in the presence of God and enjoying each other, being intimate with each other. Be, tending the garden and taking care of their responsibilities and doing their thing. So much so to the point that maybe they kind of got comfortable and became confident. They became confident. The presence of God became familiar. And here it is that, that, that the enemy's watching and he's seeing because he, he knows what it is to... to, to to betray. He knows what it is. He, he knows what to look for. He knows what to pick, pick up on. And so you see Eve 
having this conversation. And I'm guessing that maybe Adam didn't, didn't come and, and intervene because he was confident in the flesh of his wife. We've been at this for a minute. We've been ruling and reigning. We've been taking dominion over creation like God created us to do. We've been subduing. My wife's good. I told her, don't touch it. She good. And here it is, the serpent slithers up. I think like something like Goldie the Mac. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, Eve. Don't be your mother, your father. You know what I'm saying? He, 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 he did his thing. You know what I'm saying? Slithered up. And next thing you know, she's eating. And then I'm thinking that maybe Eve also placed confidence in the flesh of her husband. Because she immediately goes to share with him. Because I'm pretty sure that once she took a bite of that, she felt there was like some type of separation. So if I can only make it back to my husband, who I have confidence in, who is my covering, because I'm feeling, I'm feeling a separation, I'm feeling uncovered right now, and I'm going to bring it to him so he partakes of this so we can, I, I, we can be back together as one. And they both are uncovered. And their eyes were open. It's funny how it reads what leads up to her eating of the fruit. Because it says that once she looked at the tree and she saw that it was good for food. I mean, it's like you've been there with this tree for, for I don't know how long. You mean to tell me that you never recognized this tree before? Especially when you know it was a tree that you wasn't supposed to touch right? You know you ain't supposed to eat of the tree, but, but I'm pretty sure that the fruit looked good or else God wouldn't have told him, don't eat of it, right? You ain't going to like look at something nasty and be like, yeah, let me see what that tastes like, right? And so it says that she looked at the tree and she saw it was good for food. But here's the, here's the crack up. It says that, that she saw that it was a tree that could make one wise, I ain't never seen a tree like that before. I've never seen that before. I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. So I'm like, how you, how, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out, because we know that man is finite and that, that God is all-knowing. We only understand so much, and we can only explain stuff to a certain extent. And I believe what the writer was explaining when he says that is that she knew that it would satisfy the curiosity that she had been entertaining that whole time. It would satisfy the curiosity. And, and I heard one pastor come up here and say, a guest preacher say, don't be curious for curiosity's sake. You know the saying, they say a curiosity killed the cat. And I know there's things that, that that's, there, there come times where we entertain certain thoughts. We entertain certain thoughts. And after a while, you find yourself thinking, thinking on it enough that, you, that, that really what it's called meditating on it. And what you meditate on is eventually going to get down in your heart and it's going to come out in your actions. That's why God says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issue of life. And so here it is. She looked at it. She partakes of it. 
realizing the juice ain't worth the squeeze, takes it to her husband. They both uncovered, and they sewing together fig leaves and hiding in the jungle. Understand this, that a confidence placed in anything other than Christ is a misplaced trust. No confidence in the flesh. It's a con. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive. Naive. Eve. Don't be naive. Listen. You're not righteous because you come to church every Sunday. You're not righteous because you're up here on the worship team. You're not righteous because you're up here holding a microphone and talking to everybody that's in the room. You're not righteous other th by other any means than resting in the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified and yielding your members, yielding your life completely over to him, surrendering everything that you have unto God. That's what equals your righteousness. Not your works. Paul said, I am pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As I come to a close, a thought that I want you to realize is that if you're not pressing toward the mark, then you are the mark. If you're not pressing toward the mark, if I'm not pressing toward the mark, then I am the mark and I'm being conned. Why? Because my confidence is misplaced. I've allowed something to deceive me. I've allowed my, my, my accomplishments to deceive me to the point of believing that somehow I'm responsible or I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for, for creating my own righteousness rather than resting in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. As I come to a close, I feel like the Lord is, is, has been walking in the cool of the day, coming to see many of us, and we've been hiding. We've been hiding behind all the things that we've been doing. We've been hiding behind our serving. Because it's easy to serve than it is to spend time in quiet by yourself with just you and God, naked before the Lord. It's hard. We want to cover ourselves up. Lord, I've been, I've been you know, I've been, I, I went and I served on Sunday. I served both services. I went and gave brother so-and-so a ride to, to his interview. I went, and, I went and did this. I went and did that. And God all the while is saying, where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? Some of you guys have been in a place of sorrow. And you're allowing the sorrow to come in, in, in between you and God. I don't know if it's the sorrow that, that maybe you've lost a loved one, 
I don't know if it's a sorrow of a broken relationship, but you've allowed it to intervene and come in between and cause a breach between your relationship with God. God wants to handle that today. The altar is, is, is where you exchange. The altar is the place of exchange. Let's stand to our feet. At the altar, at the altar is where we are altered. And some of us in here need an alteration today. Some of us need an altercation today. And you can come to the altar. Don't be conned and think that you've been saved so long that you don't need the altar anymore. God don't care about your tenor. He don't care about how much of a veteran you are. You still a, a sack of bones like everybody else, made from the same dirt, capable of the same sin, in need of the same Savior. If anybody fits in that category, come to the altar. If you've been hiding behind your fig leaves, come to the altar. If you've been in sorrow, come to the altar. If you've been placing your confidence in anything other than Christ, come to the altar. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast but we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.